This is a podcast by The Straits Times. This is Asian Insider and I'm Nirmal Ghosh. Now today we deal with a very grim subject, India. Hospitals are utterly overwhelmed. Patients are lying on the floor. There is not enough oxygen. An oxygen cylinder costs thousands in the black market. People have been left to fend for themselves and people are dying en masse, and I mean en masse. The cumulative death toll from COVID-19 has soared to over 219,000 and is going up by over 3,000 per day. And that is almost certainly an undercount. The real figure could be between five to 10 times higher than what is being reported. At least 3.4 million people are apparently being treated, which is again very likely an undercount. The health system is near collapse. And the rest of the world is watching in utter horror, frankly, as what is happening in India is also putting the rest of the world at risk. Now, there are many aspects to this deep and ongoing disaster. And to discuss just some, today I am joined by Gautam Menon, Professor of Physics and Biology at Ashoka University in Sonipat. And I am joined by my colleague in Bangalore, Straits Times, India correspondent Rohini Mohan. Thank you both very much for taking time out to join Asian Insider today. Professor Menon, if I may start with you, could you give us a sense of whether on current trends, India is in for more weeks of this very grim situation? Or is there some hope of getting on top of the virus in the foreseeable future? And what has to happen to get to that place? Well, at the moment, most models suggest that you should be seeing a peak in another 10 days to two weeks from now. There are some encouraging signs that it could happen before that. The total daily cases is now is around 350,000 per day. And that's down from a, from a high of about 400,000 per day. And whether that really reflects a reduction in testing isn't completely clear. We'll have to look at this trend over a few more days at least to see whether it's cemented in. But I think, I mean, the best case scenario, we've seen it turn down. It's sort of going to come down from now. Worst case, the actual numbers will continue to rise for another 10 days to two weeks, even though it may not reflect in the official statistics. But hopefully after that, we should see something, you should see a sustained downturn. And I suppose vaccination will be one of the keys to getting on top of it as well, right? In the long term, certainly. But vaccinations will do nothing for you in the short term. will do nothing for you over the period of about a week to 10 days or two weeks, which is really now the issue. Which is the problem now is that you have people crowding hospitals in very large numbers. And that incredible strain on the health system is what is really leading to all of the pictures that you see on news media flashed around the world. Hospitals full, people pleading for oxygen, ICUs full. That's really the reason. Vaccinations won't solve that problem now. But they will be certainly the only really long-term solution. Rohini, we are getting a lot of news from what seem to be the worst affected places like Delhi in the national capital region and Uttar Pradesh, for example. What is the situation in Bangalore? Can you give us a sense of the, of the anxiety on the ground? I believe you are on lockdown. How badly has this affected life and people? So the reason to go on lockdown after a lot of reluctance from the government was that uh, the numbers just weren't coming down, infections were spiking. So the only solution was to have a lockdown. They tried uh, weekend uh, shutdown first and that wasn't enough. So they have extended it to mid-May, which as Professor Menon said, is probably where the numbers will peak even more. Bangalore actually, at least in terms of hospital beds, is the one that has 
the most most number of beds per i think a million population in the country and still it is struggling there's lots of private hospitals here and still people are outside no beds are available uh, it is those heart rending scenes that we see from delhi are not very different here it's pretty bad here as well and it got bad in the last i would say for five days it got much worse uh, i am also hearing that other cities like chennai will get here uh, pretty bad soon and this is because the cases are increasing and those uh, doctors and all that told me that you know once somebody is admitted at least seven or eight days they are going to be using that icu bed that oxygen concentrator and so it's not going to be easy to have that turnover uh, but the number of patients coming in for admission is much much faster so this is something that uh, i mean there is a resource resource crunch here the government uh, state governments are trying to expand capacity there are uh, private uh, entrepreneurs who are trying to set up temporary covid care centers all of this is happening in a rush right now but uh, it's only i think in next one week we'll see if it works tell me rohini sticking with you for a moment more than 40 countries have committed or have sent medical aid of some description a lot of aid has already arrived is there any evidence that this aid is this equipment the oxygen and so forth is being effectively deployed and is making any difference yet you know that's the sad thing that uh, there was a lot of relief when a lot of governments pledged the bills and oxygen concentrators and even singapore uh, allowed uh, cylinders to be sent so this is something that uh, was ex- people expected some relief from it there is of course internal competition between different states because we are all struggling uh, and the most the worst affected states need it now not you know tomorrow like right now uh, so there are people still dying outside without the without access to oxygen so oxygen is something that i think that's the first priority but it's not come from uh, people are saying that the customs hasn't cleared it uh, every imaginable bad bureaucracy bureaucratic block uh, right now exists professor menon it seems almost callous to talk in analytical terms when one is in the midst of an ongoing tragedy like this but we do have to ask ourselves what lessons are to be learned from this there have been allegations of complacency vaccine inefficiency messaging what would you say are the lessons well all of those that you just mentioned and i think a certain level of complacency had set in because after the cases in the first wave peaked around the middle of september we saw sustained decrease which really didn't sort of show any sign of of a peak during the november december season which is the season for festivals the season of puja in bengal etc so that i think led people to think that maybe there's something special about the indian population that protects it in some way maybe we are over this maybe we won't see the sort of uh, devastation that covid-19 has wreaked on other countries for example brazil that turned out to be wrong that seemed to be misplaced and post january or so there was a gradual opening up schools opened up in some areas outside the main cities and that may have driven some part of the of the new wave and of course variants because this is this is a virus that changes it mutates all viruses do that and when they do when they mutate in a way as to become more infectious more transmissible between people that's when you have to watch out one is transmissibility and the other of course is is lethality I mean are you sort of does the virus kill more people on average than than in the earlier strain did that i think is really what happened around the middle of february the earlier strains that were less transmissible on average 
seem to be replaced by a bunch of new strains, one from the UK, the B117 the B, uh, variant, mainly over the north of India, a variant called the B167 variant, sorry, yeah, the, the B116 variant, 117 variant in the in, in in the in the west of India, other variants in the east of India, other variants in the south of India, all of these seem to have become important all of a sudden, and they seem to have led to this sudden spike in cases. You could have argued that we and that's the point at which we should have looked forward and tried to understand what would be the consequences of this increase and tried to put in the oxygen requirements, all of the other infrastructural requirements that we needed, as well as to uh, to sort of um, beef up hospital capabilities at that point. We didn't do that at that time. We did go somewhat rashly in for a full-scale election campaign approved by the Election Commission, which was a mistake. It had lots of people crowding. We had religious events like the Kumbh Mela, which again had a lot of crowding. Of course, some care was taken about it. It wasn't as though it was completely a free-for-all at that point. But all of this, I think, added up to our preventing, our being unable to prevent this very sharp rise. You know, when, whenever viruses spread, whenever you have an epidemic, you will see cases. The only question is how fast do they grow? And can you keep your medical system in such a way as to prove, as to be always ahead of that particular curve? That didn't happen. Right. Uh, Rohini, we hear two quite different messages from India, from our friends and relatives and the media and from the government. As uh, Professor Menon was saying, Prime Minister Modi continued to hold political rallies. Several parties did that in Bengal. They allowed huge religious gatherings, but it has also tried to censor critical media articles, tweets and so forth. So what is going on? Yeah, we've even got uh, ambassadors and diplomats in other countries like Australia writing to uh, newspapers saying don't cover it uh, and you're misleading people. But I think the image management is part of the government trying to uh, cover up a really catastrophic moment but i think um, real numbers on the ground are it's very hard to hide it from the people in the country uh, when you've lost family when you've lost uh, you know someone just very close to you you're not going to believe numbers that say that no one has died in that district or in that area for example if i can just mention one um, i just noted it down like for example in bhopal which is uh, uh, the capital of the central indian state of madhya pradesh uh, the government says on may 2nd 104 deaths but the crematorium's total is 2,557. This is the gap. And this is not one, this is just one example. And it's across different places. Uh, local media has been covering the gap in deaths. And death is one indication of how bad the situation is. I wish we could know how fatal this one, this way, some of the variants are. But right now we are seeing deaths. We don't know if it's because of the variant or if it's because people just didn't get, get access to medical care. There have been scientists who've written to the government asking for uh, more data to be released that the government does collect and so that they can analyze better. We can make better decisions with better scientific decisions. Uh, so there is a gap in between uh, what the government says uh, and what people are experiencing, but it's not fooling anyone, at least on the ground. Professor Menon, we have seen obvious quackery. I, I mean, I can think of no other word, frankly. Um, and it's not exclusive to India, but it's obviously, you know, given the situation, it's, it's very obvious. The scientifically ignorant quackery from political leaders, sometimes at the very highest level. Do you think that has played some role in this devastating tsunami of, uh, of infections and deaths that we are seeing? Not particularly quackery. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, the, the silly statements have been made. I'm not sure anyone takes them all that seriously. 
I'd be more concerned about other things such, you know, infrastructure and particularly the reasons why there is some amount of hesitancy. I think people are seeing a level of crowding in hospitals, tests are not available. So even if you're ill, just to get tested to demonstrate that you have COVID-19 is become a huge problem. It takes five to six days for to be tested in the first place. And then a few days after that to the results to come. And people look at these and there is this worry that if I go to get vaccinated, I'm just in the midst of large, num large numbers of people. And I may contract the disease just while in the while on the way to getting myself vaccinated or tested or something we haven't managed that very well and i think that's a reason for some amount of hesitancy at this point i, I would i would not i mean the quackery is part of everything i don't think anyone takes it all that seriously and i don't think it has had mm -hmm. a, a major impact in the way people deal with covid 19 in india and Rohini, back to you for a second on the role of the media. You did mention that the media has been exposing the true situation on the ground and so forth. But I've also seen some uh, analysts and commentators saying the media bears some responsibility for not being, you know, uh, forthright enough uh, that the, uh, a lot of the media has been cowed uh, under this administration. I wonder what your thoughts are on that as, as a journalist out there. Both exist. There's a lot of people covering, uh, you know, what is really happening. There are also a lot of people who uh, I think it ranges from wanting to give and not uh, hold the government, uh, the, at least the central government accountable. There are there are no doubts that people are holding their state government, local government uh, responsible. But the popularity of Prime Minister uh, Narendra Modi sometimes deters some people from um, holding him accountable for certain decisions. It's a very centralized government. It, uh, the first wave of uh, COVID pandemic in India was handled in a very centralized way. Most of the decisions were happening from the prime minister's office. So this is what people expected now as well. There were criticisms of that, not that that's the greatest way to handle a pandemic, but that was what we saw in the first wave. And in the second wave, there has been much more of a held back response from the central government. So people, the media may have uh, questioned this. The other is, uh, I think, a more legitimate uh, criticism may be looking within. So there are people who there have been commentators writing about should we blame ourselves as Indian citizens for having not had for having exhibited lax behavior, not following rules. Uh, I would say that there is blame uh, in the population. I would place some blame on ourselves as well, uh, as well as the government. And uh, I, I, there is there has been some attempt to kind of hold back or uh, to censor information that the gov that uh, some media has reported, to also censor tweets that uh, desperate families had posted saying that there is oxygen that is getting over, my, my mother is dying outside a hospital. Uh, there was even an attempt to censor that. Certain state governments like Uttar Pradesh under the Chief Minister Yogi Adityanath have tried to, uh, have, have threatened to confiscate property of people who have criticized the government. And courts across the country uh, have clamp down on this kind of behavior. They've said you, you cannot attack or punish people in their desperate situation for simply speaking up and asking for help. Professor Menon, a last word from you. Uh, what is your predominant takeaway from this tragedy? I think the first thing is that we allowed ourselves to be complacent and we believed, at least I think a good amount of messaging was centered around the idea that India was exceptional in some way and would not have the same fate as the other countries who'd gone through multiple waves. We know now that that isn't true, and we need to be as vigilant as possible.
to look for further possible surges in the future, further waves that could happen. And there's a lot of stuff that we need to do in order to prepare for that. We need to get better genetic epidemiology in place to figure out where are the new variants. We need to be very, very much more watchful at the local scale for sudden increases in cases that are unexplained. We need to understand all of this. The other point is that, you know, we the, the television cameras are focused on Delhi and Bombay and the big cities of India. But the tragedy that is unfolding in the, the tier two cities, the tier three cities and the rural parts of India is an untold tragedy. Relatively few people are speaking about it. But in a sense, that's really where India lies. It's not so much in, in, in the cities, but the bulk of the population is still is still largely in, in non-urban areas. And, I, I, you know, it's it's their needs that we should also be cognizant of, even while the television cameras and the news press are focused on the large cities. The last point that I want to make is that this is, in a sense, an opportunity. This is a completely a one in a lifetime, one in a in a hundred years event. So, for us to think about the role of public health of easily accessible, uniform, you know, inexpensive, and 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 publicly available public health system across India, this is something that we've had some amount of success in. It's been homogeneous across states. Some states have done relatively well. Some states have done badly. But this really is a chance for us to do something new and to think about this new and to put resources where they can make a difference. Very well put. Professor Gautam Menon, Rohini Mohan, thank you very much for joining Asian Insider. I'm afraid India has not seen the worst of this crisis yet. And we just have to hope that the system is resilient enough and the foreign aid makes a difference in the days ahead. For Asian Insider, I'm Nirmal Ghosh. That was an SPH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast at sph.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.